We're going to be in the New Testament, Luke chapter 13. Uh, A few weeks ago, a line of really strong thunderstorms came through the area and uh, and hit our neighborhood. Probably just seems like especially hard. Our our home was fine. A number of people in our neighborhood lost a lot of limbs and trees, and some people are getting a new roof because of it. And many of you know our Carmel campus pastor, Jerry Neville. He'll speak over here from time to time, and he and his family live in the same neighborhood a few streets from us, and they didn't have any damage to their home, thankfully, but they did notice something very interesting about a tree in their front yard after that storm. I think you can see the the split, the crack right down the, the center of the tree. They had a a tree company come and check it out, and the good news is that they think they can save it. They're going to prune and kind of trim off a lot of the top branches just to kind of remove some of that top weight, Uh, but they also put a strap around it and cranked it tight just to to give some uh, more support, give time for the tree to recover, Uh, but there is no guarantee. And I think I know a little bit of what Jerry feels. You know, we live in a neighborhood where the houses are like 20, 25 years old, and, and so mature trees are few and far between, and they don't want to really lose this tree because, again, it's in their front yard, but I, I think they realize its days are numbered. And what's true for the tree is true for each of us. They'll like it or not, our days are numbered. Like the last time that I checked, I think the mortality rate of humanity is somewhere around 100%, right? We, we all die. We're all going to pass. Death is a part of of life, and we experienced that reality in our family this past week. Jenny's sweet grandma uh, passed away a little over a week ago. She was 97 years old. Uh, she lived a really good life. She was very sweet. She was very sharp, very kind, very thoughtful. Fun little fact about Jenny's grandma uh, Jenny's grandma had 12 children. Uh, Of those 12 children, uh, Jenny is one of 58 grandchildren, uh, but it gets even better. My three kids are three of 141 great-grandchildren that Grandma Wrecker had, and so she had lots to be thankful for, so many people. I I remember when we used to go to her house for Thanksgiving or Christmas or something, we'd sit there and and people just keep walking through the door, and I'd say to Jenny, who's that? She's like, I have no idea. Like, she she doesn't even know her own family is that big. But uh, this past Friday, a whole crowd of people gathered together uh, to celebrate uh, 97 years of life here on this earth. You know, unless Jesus returns first, every one of us will die. All right, And that means that some of us might live to an age like 97 years old. Sadly, some of us may die too soon. Call it morbid. Welcome to Genesis, by the way, you know, as we get started this morning, as we're talking about death here. But, but the fact is this. The fact is that we all have at least two dates. Isn't it true? Like, I don't know who Ida is. I'm trusting she lived a really good life. But Ida had two very important dates. She was born in 1902. She lived until 1981. And this dash represents a lot about her, right? But, but two important dates, a birth date and let's call it a death date, all right? I think it makes sense for us. We all have a birth date, uh, just as we have a death date too, and only the Lord knows that one. What I want to talk to you about today is a third date, uh, a day so important, more important than any of these two days, and it doesn't matter 
what you think about God. It doesn't matter how long you've been around church or uh, your impressions of church or Jesus, the questions that you have, or if you've been around church or Christianity for a really long time, the fact is that this third date is the most important date that any of us could ever have because it changes everything about everything. All right, we're going to look at Luke chapter 13 today, uh, a, a story in Luke's gospel uh, that Jesus, uh, that is recorded for us where Jesus addresses death. He talks about tragedies of life, but he also uses a tree as an illustration to help us understand the importance of having a third date in our lives too. Now, I'm going to warn you before we dive in today that the story we're going to look at is a little unusual. It's a little choppy, in fact. Uh, there, there's a good chance that if you've been reading along with us, if you read through Luke this past week, you might have flown right by these verses and not really thought anything about it at all. But again, it begins in Luke, thir- Luke 13. There's a group of people that come to Jesus and ask his opinion about a couple of tragic events that had recently taken place in Jerusalem. Now, what are those tragedies? Well, first, the Roman governor at the time was a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate. And if you've studied the last days of Jesus at all, you've probably heard of Pilate, but Pilate had a reputation for being ruthless towards the Jewish people. And to prove it, he executed a group of Jews for opposing him. And so this crowd confronts Jesus to see if they can kind of get an official response from Jesus on the matter. But instead of answering their questions directly, Jesus responds to them with a few questions of his own. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Here's what Luke records. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And again, they're referring to this execution of these Galileans, these men and women uh, of Israel. Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then Jesus makes reference to a second tragedy that had likely been brought up when he refers and says those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam, which was located in the southeast corner of the city of Jerusalem, when the tower fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And again, Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, You can't blame the people for their feelings or for their questions either, especially in regards to these tragedies, because back then, most people believed that if something bad happened to you, it was likely because of something you had done. Uh, Call it bad theology, if you will. But you tell me, like, have you ever wondered? I mean, have you ever asked of yourself to... If you wondered, does God work like that? I mean, do, does, does he punish some more severely than others while, while playing favorites with, with, with others? Because we all know there are a lot of awful things that happen in our world uh, to all people every single day. I mean, every day storms roll through towns and, and damage people's homes. Uh, every day there are people that get a bad diagnosis or, or die tragically. Uh, Every day there are children who are neglected and and families that are torn apart by by things like an addiction. I mean, like bad things happen to bad people, but bad things happen to good people too. It, It happens all the time. And if there's anything that we've learned, all of us, in the last 18 months, it's that this world is broken And this brokenness has a way of impacting every single one of us. It impacts us physically. It impacts us 
uh, relationally, it impacts us emotionally and, and even spiritually at times. And, and while it is fair to say that there are consequences for our actions, and sometimes those conse- consequences involve things like pain and, and struggle and, and death, part of what Jesus wants us to see here is that God isn't orchestrating the events of this world uh, in such a way that He's rewarding those He likes and punishing those that He doesn't like. He doesn't work like that. But that's the way the crowd sees it. And so for those reasons, Jesus is going to use this opportunity to clear up their misunderstanding and also address the impact that sin and brokenness has on every single one of us. And if you look at verses 2 to 5 again, you'll notice that Jesus repeats the warning because, again, he references this first tragedy and then says to them, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he goes on and he talks about the, the tragedy at, at Salome. And once again, he says, but I tell you, you know, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And so what's Jesus' official statement to the question of death and suffering and struggle in this world? If I had to summarize, I would say Jesus is saying sin is the culprit. Uh, sin, sin is to blame. You could say that, that your sin results in your death. Uh, my sin results in my death. Sin is the culprit. Sin is to blame. We all have a birth date And we all have a death date too. And death might come into your life or any of our lives because of old age. It might come from an unexpected event or or a tragedy. The bottom line is this, that death exists because of sin. Death exists in this world because of sin. It's the result of my sin. It's the result of your sin. And to emphasize this point, Jesus shares a strong warning. If you see the word there, against the dangers of death, or he calls it, what's the word? Perishing. Jesus uses the word perish, and, and when Jesus talks about perishing, it's his way of saying, you know, again, be careful. You know, we're all going to die, but it's not just that we all die. It's the sad reality, according to Jesus, that some will die and will spend the rest of eternity separated from God in hell, and that is what it means to perish. And so why is Jesus warning the people then? And really, warning us today, it's because of this. In his great and amazing and compassionate love, Jesus knows and realizes that there is a way out, that there is a way through, that there is a solution, that there is a a cure to the problem of sin and death in this world. And that's why on two occasions, in four verses, Jesus warns us to do something before we perish. And what is it? Jesus calls it repentance. The word is repent or repentance. The the dictionary defines the word repentance as what it means to express regret or to express remorse over the things that we've done in our past, the wrong, the, the sin that's in our life. But from a biblical perspective, repentance is more than just regret over sin because biblically speaking, repentance is a change of mind. It's a change in your mind that is going to influence and change our actions too. Again, it means to acknowledge and to experience regret over sin in your past and in your present. I can't emphasize how important that is, but it's more than that. It's more than just looking back and making past sins right because repentance also means looking ahead too. 
It's realizing that there's a, a new way that through Jesus Christ, we're invited into a new way of living, a life of obedience, a, a life that is more satisfying uh, uh, than any other way of living in this world, and it's a life that offers the promise of eternal life with Jesus and everyone else who has put their faith and their trust in him. Now, if this idea of repentance and forgiveness and eternal life is new to you, let me just invite you to pay really close attention to what Jesus is getting ready to say next because he's going to share an illustration of what a life apart from God looks like, and spoiler alert, it's not good. But it's not just for new people either, and it's not just for, for those that have questions or those that would say that they're far from God because what Jesus has to say about life and the way we live it, it applies to every single one of us here today. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been around church, you know, and your faith in Christ. Because if you're like me at all, if you have a story similar to mine, like I've been around church for a really long time, you know. And so it's easy from time to time to maybe skim over words like these and say, well, those aren't really matter. They don't really matter to me. They're not relevant for me. I repented. I'm already forgiven. And yes, that's true. Like if you've repented of your sins, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are forgiven. All right, you are redeemed. You're a child of God. Like you belong to him. Your life is secure in Jesus Christ and there is nothing in this world that can take that away from you. But even with that in mind, there's still a warning here for each of us, a warning in fact about the way we live, a warning that none of us should ignore. Let's pick it up in verse six. It says, then he, then Jesus told this parable. Jesus said, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? And then he continues, sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus taught with parables like this one to help us understand, help people then help us understand today important spiritual truths and realities. And anytime he shares a parable, it's important to do things like ask yourself, okay, who is Jesus talking to here? Uh, what point is he trying to make in this particular context? Well, with this one, Jesus tells a parable about a vineyard and a fig tree like the one shown here. Uh, that can be found in central Israel today. Now, going back as far as the Old Testament, the imagery of vineyards and fig trees were used to describe the people of Israel and their relationship to God. And the image of a fruitful tree was often seen and viewed as the symbol of a godly, obedient sort of life. And so in this parable that we're looking at here that Jesus tells, the owner of the vineyard represents God, the fig tree represents the people of Israel. And in this parable, we learn that after three years of waiting, this fig tree has not produced any fruit. And so the owner of the vineyard is ready to cut it down. Basically, he's concluded that because the tree is fruitless, it's basically useless. Now, if this was a tree that Jesus is talking about, we might not think much about it, but I think we're all smart enough to realize that Jesus isn't really talking about a tree here. No, he's talking specifically about the people of Israel at the time and their fruitlessness when it comes and came to living in obedience to God. And it's ironic because from the outside looking in, the people of Israel 
could have given the impression they had it all together because they studied the text regularly and they went to places like the temple for worship. They, they met in groups and they cared for one another. They gave their money regularly and any number of them were great at looking good, at least spiritually speaking. But the problem for them that was in spite of their religious activity and efforts to please God, their lives were basically fruitless. And the most telling sign of their fruitlessness was the fact that they were completely blind to their own sinfulness because they were more focused on, I guess you could say, looking the part than actually living in obedience to God. They spent more time trying to better others while overlooking their need to repent and trust Jesus. And according to Jesus, this kind of fruitlessness is unacceptable to God, and as a result of their stubbornness, the point Jesus is trying to make is that your time is counting. The, the clock is counting down. We all only get so many days, and so that's why Jesus was calling people to repentance. He did this over and over again in his ministry. He knew that, 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 that God was impatient, was growing impatient with, the, with, with the, uh, the fruitless disobedience of their lives, and so that's why Jesus is pleading with the people. He's pleading here and all of these other occasions, pleading with people to repent and to turn back to God before their time is up. Like, I, I think you can see. I mean, the, the point of the repetition here is that this is a very serious warning from Jesus. But as I've been studying this week, as I've been looking at this text, I realize that there's another person present in this parable that we haven't mentioned yet. Because I said in the parable, there, there's the landowner who represents God, Okay. There's the fig tree that represents the fruitless nation of Israel, but really every single one of us. But in verse 7, we're also introduced to the caretaker of the vineyard. Look at it again. Luke chapter 13, verse 7. It says, So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? And then in verse 8, the caretaker of the vineyard speaks and says, Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Would you care to take a guess at who the caretaker of the vineyard is? It's Jesus. It's a safe answer in church, right? I mean, just always just go with the Jesus answer. There's always a really good chance you'll get it, but it is Jesus and in this parable, he's appealing to his Father in heaven to show mercy on these people who claim to know him but have been living far from him. And as the caretaker, Jesus doesn't appeal to God to just give more time. But notice what he does. He personally commits to putting in whatever work and care and effort is necessary to help the unfruitful tree, people far from him, begin bearing fruit so that they can be spared from judgment. Again, in verse 8, Jesus says, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I spent a couple of years from middle school to high school working at an orchard 
uh, in central Illinois for a, a family that was a part of the church where we attended. And so I would ride my bike just a, a mile or so out to their house, spend a couple of hours every week uh, working alongside this man who owned the orchard. And so I learned very little about pruning uh, apple trees and uh, watching the, the fertilization process and how we take a shovel and we would dig a trench at times around these trees and just the, the nourishment from the fertilizer to help produce the, the crop. In the case of a fruitless tree, a, a caretaker uh, in this day would dig around the base of the tree to expose, uh, to free up the root system, and then would add the fertilizer in the ground, which would provide the nourishment to help stimulate growth and lead to fruitfulness. And in the same way, as the caretaker of God's people, Jesus is willing to go to incredible lengths to be sure that none of us miss the point, that to make sure that we don't waste the one and only life that we've been given here on this earth, and to be sure that every person here has the opportunity to hear and to realize that you can get right with God, because Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish. He, he wants every person to repent and to step into the, the new life of following Jesus and bearing fruit in this world. Now, now, in Jesus' day, this parable was meant to serve as a direct warning for the people of Israel who continually refused to trust Jesus as the Messiah. But here's what's amazing about the Word of God and about this occasion as well, that even 2,000 years later, Jesus' warning is for us too. And, and His warning is one more reminder that like the people then, our lives are fragile, Right? That every single one of us, we, we get limited time, you know? I think we'd all agree, everyone here today was born, okay? I mean, we've all got that in common. We're all going to die. And as the caretaker of God's people, Jesus knows that you only get so much time, you know? And his call to repentance is an invitation to admit that we are dead to our sin, that we need help, that we need a Savior. But again, it's more than just regretting our sin or our old ways, Repentance is an invitation to begin a new life. Uh, repentance is an invitation to begin a new life. Like Jesus invites us into a new way of life, a radically changed life. It's a, a life where we trust him. It's a life that you're able, that I'm able to say that I am forgiven, that my life has been redeemed, and I know that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, my Lord, because he has secured my eternity forever. But this is where the parable of the fig tree really comes to life for us as it's meant to serve as a picture of what God wants to accomplish in every single life. And that is that he wants to bear fruit through you. you know, Jesus invites every one of us into a brand new life that looks a lot like Jesus where every day we look more and more like Jesus Christ, that we are, we are focused on sharing the hope and the love of Christ with others in this world. And it's a life that is fully surrendered to God so that he can produce fruit in us, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Like This is the kind of fruit that God wants to produce in every single one of us who has repented of our sins and trusted Jesus Christ with our lives. And it doesn't come from self-righteous living. And it doesn't come as a result of trying harder. Like this kind of life comes from God and our willingness to surrender to the Holy Spirit that he has put inside of all of those who have trusted him with their life. Again, how does it get started? It starts when you repent. It starts when you repent and acknowledge your sinfulness 
and your need for Jesus, and it's an ongoing work that God does in our life for the rest of our time here on the earth. This is the good news. Like, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has made a way, that that through Jesus Christ we can be saved, that we can be redeemed, and that it's through Jesus that we can bear fruit for God in this world. Can I ask you a question this morning? Again, knowing and realizing that we all have a birth date and we all have a death date that only God knows. But do you have a, do you have a third date in your life? Do you have a third date in your life? It, it's, it's the most important one. Uh, it's the most important day that anyone can have. It's the day that you repented and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's, it's the most important decision that you or I could ever make in this world. I, I was 12 years old uh, when I repented and trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I sat in a, a room like this and was listening to a message much like I'm sharing with you now. I had been going to church since I was born, all right? It's what we did, doing all the things that church people do, but I had never made the personal decision to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't know the exact date. My mom does. I know she's probably got it written down. We can call her and find out when that is, but, but I am confident of this. I'm forgiven. My life has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And yes, Jesus has a lot of work to do in me, a lot of fertilizing still to do for sure, but I'm making it my goal. Like many of you, my aim to live for Jesus in this world, I want to bear fruit for Jesus. I I want him to bear fruit through me, and I know that I'm going to spend the rest of eternity with him and many of you in heaven one day. What about you? You have a third date in your life? It's a yes or no question. And if not, like what's keeping you from turning to Jesus? Because that's what he wants for all of us. That's his desire for your life, that you will trust him, that you will live for him, and that he can bear fruit through you. He, he loves you. Like our God loves you. As we talked about last week, he is a, a compassionate and caring God who loved you. Our God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to live and to die. He raised him from the dead for you. And he's in, again, he's inviting you and me into a life that is more rewarding, a life that is more fulfilling, a life that is more satisfying than anything you will ever know. And he's, as, as Jesus describes in this parable, he's willing to go to great lengths, work the soil in your life to get your attention to help lead you back to God. Pastor Kent Hughes describes it this way. He says this, he says, as our caretaker, the Lord of the universe who transcends, sustains, and maintains the vast cosmos gives us an extended period of grace which he painstakingly does what he can to bring forth the fruit of repentance in our lives. He says, Jesus digs to free us. He, he pounds on us through life's ups and downs. He pries at our earthly attachments so that we might become fruitful. And then he asks this question, and I pray that the Lord might open your heart and mind to hear this and answer it today. He says, has Jesus been digging around the roots of your earthbound soul? Has he been digging in your relationships, your profession, or your family in ways that have left you reeling? And then he says, the object of these shakings is that you might become fruitful. To those of you here today that have never repented or trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that there may be some shaking 
that's going on in your life. And it's not because God is playing some kind of game with you. No, it's in his grace. He's giving you time. And he might be using some of the challenges and trials that you're going through as a way of getting your attention. And he's put someone or he's put some people in your life who are loving you. You know, he's putting about questions about about life and purpose and your mind is a way of getting your attention. I mean, maybe you've been on the receiving end of some kindness and generosity from someone else. Maybe it's the, the frustrations of this pandemic we've been living in. I mean, maybe he brought you to church today. It could be that in his grace, he has put you in the seat that you're in this morning to hear this message today. You want to know God's will for your life? He wants you to turn from your old life to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He wants to give you a new life, a life that bears fruit for him so that others might know the power and the love of Jesus through you as well. Again, this is the good news, that you don't have to settle for what this world claims to offer. But there is another way. There is a better way, and it is through Jesus Christ. Today, you can establish that third date in your life the most important one, and trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. In fact, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. If you'll just bow your head and close your eyes with me. Again, I want to ask you this morning, do you have a third date in your life when you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if not, why not? And if not, why not today? Why not today? Could it be that some of the shakings in your life are really just God and His grace getting your attention, inviting you into another way, helping you to realize that Jesus came for you, that He gave His life for you, that He offers His life for you, and that you can live in Him and through Him and for Him, and there is no other way. There is nothing more satisfying than trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the hope and the promise of his forgiveness, the hope and the promise of eternal life, not just for one day when we die, but the joy of living for eternal life today and for living for the Lord. You don't have to carry around the weight anymore. You don't have to carry around your sin anymore. You can leave it here today because our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, he has made a way. You know, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never repented of your sins and trusted him, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now, wherever you're seated. You can just pray these words with me and just say these words, Lord Jesus, I want you in my life today. I'm repenting of my sins today. Lord, you can have them. Forgive me. Redeem me. I want to live for you. I want to live for you. You don't have to know the answer to every question today to pray a prayer like that. Because maybe God is just overwhelming you right now with his presence. And you're realizing that today's the day. And you can reach out to him wherever you are. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him what you need. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. 
Father, thank you for your work in the room right now and for those that are reaching out to you. I, I want you to know today, for those of you here, we've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. Uh, we've, we've, we were praying for you this morning, uh, some in our church, just praying for today, that today would be the day that you trust Christ as your Savior. And Father, I pray that uh, you would continue your work in every single one of us, every person today that's praying right now. Father, we know that this, you celebrate this. Thank you for sending Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for the lives that are being saved right now in this room, Father. We trust you. We praise you. Jesus has made a way. Amen. You know, one more quick thing about this parable. And this is for anyone who claims to follow Jesus. You know, the parable of the fig tree reminds us that God wants to bear fruit. Like he wants to produce fruit in your life and in mine. And, and so you need to ask yourself, is your life bearing fruit? You know, are you living a life fully surrendered to Jesus? Or are you chasing after a bunch of things in this world that really don't matter? Because it's possible to be saved, to be forgiven, and not really following Jesus at all. And today can be the day that you get right with God, that we get right with God, confess our sin, and experience His grace and His power and His love in your life once again so that we can get back to following Jesus and make way for Him to bear fruit in each of us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the model and the life that He lived for us. Thank You for His grace, Your grace, Lord, that just continues to run through our lives and each and every day of the life that You've given to us here on this earth. Father, we know and believe you want to produce fruit through us, but that takes a surrendered life. And so I pray that our lives would be fully surrendered to you. I pray that in this room right now, you know, that there would be uh, prayers offered up to you today. People just saying, I, I want more of Jesus. I need more of Jesus. And surrender to your life to him once again today. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.